Section 29 of Whom We Shall Welcome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Whom We Shall Welcome. Report of the President's Commission on Immigration and Naturalization. Part 5. Chapter 16b. Disruption of Family Unity Our nationality policy has always sought to foster the unity of families among American citizens. However, in some important respects, the law today disrupts such family unity by its action in connection with citizenship. Birth Outside the United States to American Citizen Parents Since 1790, the laws of the United States have provided for acquisition of United States citizenship by children born abroad to parents who were American citizens. The obvious purpose was to maintain unity of citizenship between American parents and their children. For many years, only the father could transmit United States citizenship. But since 1934, citizenship may be derived through either parent. When both parents are citizens, the statute plainly sanctions transmission of citizenship to their child at birth abroad. However, when only one parent is a citizen, the statutory conditions have become increasingly restrictive. The Act of 1952 requires actual physical presence in the United States for 10 years by the citizen parent prior to the child's birth, at least five years of which were after attaining the age of 14. The purpose of requiring prior residence of the parent to ensure identification with the United States appears sound but the requirement of physical presence apparently would exclude a parent who had been out of the United States temporarily, even for a few days. The Act of 1952 also continues the provision of the 1940 Act, which precludes transmission of citizenship by a Native American parent under 19 years of age who has lived in the United States his entire life, but whose child happened to be born outside the United States. Thus, the statute does not confer American citizenship upon the child born outside the United States to an 18-year-old Native American soldier stationed overseas or to an 18-year-old Native American girl temporarily in an adjacent foreign country. The Commission recommends that the crucial factor in transmitting citizenship to a child born outside the United States should be the American citizen parent's previous residence rather than continuous physical presence in the United States. The Commission recommends that a child born abroad to a Native American parent should acquire United States citizenship at birth without regard to the age of the parent or the length of time such parent has resided in the United States. Alien Spouses of Citizens Until 1922, the naturalization laws of the United States provided for the citizenship unity of husband and wife. 
an alien woman who's married an American, thereby became an American citizen. An American woman who married an alien lost her American citizenship. Since September 22, 1922, the citizenship status of husband and wife have been independent of each other. At the same time, our national policy has continued to take into account the need for promoting unity in family citizenship status on a voluntary basis. This has been done by granting liberal benefits under the nationality laws to the spouses of American citizens. The Act of 1952 has continued this policy but has introduced undesirable limitations. For example, it increases the requirements for naturalization of spouses of American citizens many of whom may be the brides of American servicemen. The required probationary period is lengthened to three years and additional residence requirements, including one of physical presence, are imposed. These added restrictions were criticized by witnesses at the Commission's hearings. The Commission recommends that the spouse of an American citizen should be eligible to become naturalized upon completing one year of residence in the United States in marital union with the citizen spouse, following lawful admission for permanent residence. Alien Children of Citizens The same considerations of family unity underlie the derivation of citizenship by children of naturalized citizens. It is desirable that a minor child living with his parents in the United States should acquire American citizenship with his parents. The law always has provided for such derivation of citizenship by minor children automatically upon the naturalization of their parents. In 1940, the maximum age at which such a child could derive such citizenship was lowered from 21 to 18 years, and derivation occurred only when both parents or the sole parent were naturalized. The Act of 1952 lowered the maximum age of derivation to 16 years. There seems to be no valid reason for such curtailment of the rights of children. The child cannot himself apply for naturalization until he reaches the age of 18, and it seems entirely proper that until then his citizenship status should be governed by that of his parents. The Commission recommends that the maximum age for acquiring derivative citizenship through the naturalization of alien parents be restored to the age of 18 years. Handicaps to Acquiring and Maintaining Citizenship Other unreasonable provisions for the acquisition and loss of citizenship are prescribed in the Act of 1952. Definition of Good Moral Character The requirement that naturalization applicants must show good moral character during the required probationary period of residence has been part of our naturalization laws since 1795. Until 1952, however, the statute did not define good moral character, but left the definition to the courts to interpret. It was ruled that the statute did not insist on moral excellence, but required conduct 
that measured up to the prevailing standard of behavior in the community. Although opinions differed on some issues, this formula was a flexible one, which on the whole seemed satisfactory in operation. Although the statutory qualifications for citizenship have undergone relatively few changes for nearly 150 years, the interpretations placed upon the statute by the courts have been subjected to many changes. Long-established precedents have been discarded in favor of newer concepts generally more liberal to the applicant for citizenship. During the last decade, the courts increasingly have seemed to interpret the statutes in the light of moral trends as conceived by them. The result has been a gradual relaxation of earlier, more rigorous standards. The Act of 1952 does not undertake a full definition of good moral character, but the statute attempts to describe certain patterns of conduct that are not to be regarded as fulfilling the requirement of good moral character. In each instance, the new law usually attempts to negate a specific court decision. Thus, for example, the statute provides that a person who has committed adultery during the prescribed period of good behavior cannot establish good moral character. In testimony before the commission, the Immigration and Naturalization Service urged amendment of this provision for the reason that the variations among different states in defining adultery would make this provision difficult to administer. Experience in administration has revealed matrimonial relationships of long stability and respectability entered into in complete good faith, which are irregular only because of some technical defect. The declaration by law that innocent participants affected are not persons of good moral character may be contrary to the facts. This is merely one illustration of the results of the narrow definition of moral character in the Act of 1952. The Commission recommends that the statute continue to require applicants for naturalization to establish good moral character without defining that term. The interpretation of this requirement should be left to the courts as it was before the Act of 1952. Requirement of Continuous Residence In requiring specified periods of continuous residence by applicants for naturalization, the statute always has taken into account the needs of aliens whose homes were in the United States, but who were necessarily absent from time to time. The Act of 1952 made some improvements in the provisions affecting such aliens, but in other respects the statutory benefits seem unnecessarily curtailed. The principal objection seems to be to the requirement for periods of physical presence in the United States aggregating at least two and one-half years as a prerequisite to eligibility for citizenship. Representatives of Coca-Cola Export Corporation and International General Electric 
have pointed out to the commission that this limitation reduces the value of the statute in their overseas operations american institutions of research and business concerns frequently employ aliens who reside in the united states it is to the advantage of such organizations to the aliens and to the government of the united states to permit such aliens to become citizens but the nature of their employment often requires such aliens to remain away from the united states for long periods of time the restrictive provisions of the act of nineteen fifty two in effect would deny them the benefits of american citizenship the commission recommends that the requirement of the act of nineteen fifty two for continuous physical presence be eliminated in the cases of aliens necessarily absent from the united states in the employment of an american research or business organization naturalization of aliens with military service for many years the naturalization laws awarded citizenship benefits to aliens who served in the armed forces of the united states the benefits varied for different periods of service and the statutes were confused and obscure the act of nineteen fifty two introduced conditions of increased severity among these are the new requirements that the veteran must prove lawful admission to the united states for permanent residence and five years good moral character a separate section benefits veterans of world war one and world war two but carries forward an earlier requirement that they must have been lawfully admitted for permanent residence if they were not enlisted or inducted in the united states no special benefits have as yet been extended to the veterans of the conflict in korea the commission recommends that the following group of alien veterans be permitted to become american citizens without being subjected to any additional requirements other than current proof of good moral character and attachment to the principles of the constitution of the united states one aliens who have served honorably for three years in the armed forces of the united states at any time or two aliens who served honorably in the armed forces of the united states during world war one or world war two or three aliens who have served honorably in the armed forces of the united states in the military operations in korea denaturalization for concealment or misrepresentation the naturalization act of 1906 provided that naturalization could be revoked on the ground that it was fraudulently or illegally procured these grounds for revocation were retained in the law until 1952. In the report of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which preceded the Act of 1952, it was stated that there was confusion in the court decisions on what constituted fraud, and the committee therefore recommended that the statute authorize revocation for concealment of a material fact or willful misrepresentation. 
That formula was adopted in the Act of 1952. Fraud is a term found in many statutes. The courts have ruled that a naturalization is illegally procured when one of the essential statutory requirements for naturalization is lacking. The administration of the prior law seems to have presented no real difficulty, and there was no suggestion from any administrative source that the statute's language needed revision. Moreover, for 46 years, the Department of Justice had followed a policy of not instituting denaturalization proceedings where the violations were minor and where it would not be to the interest of the United States to revoke citizenship. Consequently, denaturalization for fraud or illegality has been sought in comparatively few cases in recent years. In 1950 and 1951, a total of only 42 naturalizations were canceled for fraud or illegality. The following table from the annual report of the Immigration and Naturalization Service for 1951 lists the causes for such revocations during that year. Table 15, naturalizations revoked during 1951 for fraud or illegality. Failed to meet residence requirements, false allegations, five. Bad moral character, fraud involved, one. Misrepresentations and concealments relating to marital and family status, three. Bad moral character, no fraud involved, two. Dishonorable discharge following naturalization based on military service during World War II. 2. Unwilling to bear arms. Oath taken with mental reservation. 1. Naturalization fraudulently or illegally procured. 2. Other grounds. 3. Instead of eliminating supposed confusion, the requirements of the Act of 1952 are likely to result in confusion. In place of a definite, widely understood formula, it substitutes a new one, concealment of a material fact and willful misrepresentation, which is bound to engender uncertainty and provoke litigation. In eliminating illegality as a ground for denaturalization, the new act may make it possible for aliens who actually were subversives or criminals at the time of their naturalization to escape denaturalization on a claim that they were not asked about their subversive or criminal activities and consequently made no misrepresentation. The Commission recommends that the previous grounds for denaturalization be restored so that naturalization obtained by fraud or illegality be subject to cancellation. Absence of Statute of Limitations The Act of 1952, like previous naturalization laws, provides no statute of limitations restricting the time during which action may be brought to revoke naturalization. There have been instances in which denaturalization suits 
have been brought twenty or thirty years after the granting of naturalization. Elsewhere, chapter 13, the Commission recommends that a ten-year statute of limitations be established for the commencement of deportation proceedings against aliens who enter the United States illegally. The same considerations are controlling in relation to denaturalization. A person who obtains citizenship wrongfully should be subject to revocation of his citizenship. The possibility that naturalization may be revoked at any time is a threat against the stability of status of all naturalized citizens. Obviously, too, the lapse of time may cause significant changes in circumstances as a result of which the rights of innocent third persons may become involved. The Commission recommends that no proceedings for denaturalization be instituted after the expiration of 10 years following the date of naturalization. Loss of Derivative Rights The naturalization of an alien may result in the automatic vesting of citizenship rights in such aliens, spouse, and children. The revocation of the naturalization of the person through whom such citizenship was derived may have a decisive effect on their claim to derivative citizenship. The law in effect prior to 1940 made no mention of the effect of a denaturalization proceeding upon derivative rights. However, the courts generally ruled that if the basic right was found to have been improperly obtained, the derivative rights likewise were expunged, regardless of the number of years during which the derivative citizen had innocently continued to exercise the rights of American citizenship. The stringency of this rule was modified by the Nationality Act of 1940, which provided that the citizenship of the derivative citizen was extinguished only upon a denaturalization for actual fraud and that the derivative rights were not affected when the naturalization was revoked for illegality or presumptive fraud. The Act of 1952 modified the rule of the 1940 Act. Hereafter, Derivative rights will fall whenever naturalization is canceled on the ground that it was procured by concealment of a material fact or by willful misrepresentation. When citizenship is canceled for presumptive fraud, all derivative rights will be extinguished, except where the derivative citizen is residing in the United States at the time the naturalization was revoked. No public interest seems to be served by withdrawing citizenship of a derivative citizen where he himself is free from fault. The rule of the 1940 Act was sound and workable and sought to avoid excessive disturbance of the status of persons whose American citizenship had become vested and often had endured for many years. The Commission recommends that the rule of the law prior to the Act of 1952 
be restored and that derivative rights of citizenship shall be extinguished only when the naturalization from which they are derived is revoked on the ground of actual fraud naturalization procedures although the witnesses at the commission's hearings did not refer as often to problems of naturalization as to immigration there was evidence of a belief that the last decade marked a steady improvement in the procedures of naturalization cases in the cooperation maintained with schools and social agencies aiding the applicant for naturalization and in the attitude of the administrative officers in dealing with naturalization applicants satisfaction has been expressed with the efforts of the immigration and naturalization service in the promotion of education and training for american citizenship and for encouraging aliens who seek to qualify for naturalization however the procedure for naturalization written into law still seems open to objection procedure in court since 1926 provision has been made by statute for appointment of naturalization examiners known as designated examiners to conduct preliminary examinations of naturalization applications and to make formal recommendations to the naturalization courts originally such designations were made by the courts themselves since 1940 the designations have been made by the naturalization officials the designated examiner system proved a great convenience to the courts the applicants and the immigration and naturalization service where the examiner's recommendation is favorable the applicant is usually admitted to citizenship without any further inquiry in questionable cases or in cases where the examiner's recommendation is adverse the facts are fully presented to the court in 1943 the Immigration and Naturalization Service instituted centralized review of the recommendations of the designated naturalization examiners. The purpose was to produce uniformity and improvement in such recommendations. The Act of 1952 continues a requirement introduced by the Internal Security Act of 1950 that where the attorney general's recommendation to the court disagreed with that of the designated examiner both recommendations should be submitted to the court vesting such authority in the examiner in opposition to the views of his department head results in conflicting recommendations to the court and in unsound administration the commission recommends that the only recommendation on naturalization made to the court should be the one approved by the head of the agency administering the naturalization law or by an officer designated to make recommendations on his behalf neighborhood investigation another new provision introduced 
in the Internal Security Act of 1950 and continued in the Act of 1952 requires a personal investigation of each naturalization applicant in the neighborhood of his residence and employment during the past five years. The Attorney General may waive such investigation in any case or class of cases. In the past, such investigations have been conducted in particular cases when preliminary examination has indicated the need for further inquiry. The new requirement that there be such investigation in every case places a tremendous burden on naturalization officials. Moreover, experience has demonstrated that such investigations achieve little or no results to justify the effort and cost, and cause unnecessary delays in considering the naturalization petition. The Commission recommends the elimination of the requirement that a neighborhood investigation be conducted as a matter of routine in every naturalization case. The naturalization officers should be authorized to conduct such investigations whenever they deem them necessary on the basis of information developed in individual cases. Judicial Proceedings to Establish Citizenship The immigration laws of the United States deal only with aliens, and a person who establishes that he is a citizen of the United States is removed from their sphere of operation. But the claim to American citizenship by an applicant for entry into the United States does not preclude examination by immigration officers in conducting what the Supreme Court called, quote, the preliminary sifting process, end quote, to determine whether a citizenship claim is properly substantiated. Upon an adverse determination, the claimant is barred from the United States. The decision of the immigration officers is subject only to the same limited court review as to legality and fairness of the hearing that prevails in regard to other immigration determinations. Persons whose claim to American citizenship were rejected in deportation proceedings were held entitled to an independent judicial determination of their citizenship status. The Nationality Act of 1940 established a new right to bring an action for a declaratory judgment determining a claim to American citizenship. It provided that a person outside the United States whose application for a passport was rejected could obtain a certificate of identity upon showing that he had a bona fide claim which would enable him to come to the United States for the purpose of prosecuting his action for a declaratory judgment. He also was given a right to appeal to the Secretary of State if he were refused a certificate of identity. See Chapter 11. The Passport Division of the Department of State has supplied the information that since 1945 and through September 1952, 
a total of 1,346 suits for such declaratory judgment were instituted against the Secretary of State. Of these, 855 claimants came from China, generally involving claims to citizenship derived through American parents, and 491 from other countries, preponderantly involving questions of whether American citizens had lost United States citizenship through expatriation. The administrative authorities have stated that many persons were using the declaratory judgment device as a means of improperly obtaining entry into the United States. However, in such proceedings, courts have often considered only the evidence of the claimant and not the countervailing evidence compiled by administrative officers both here and abroad. The Act of 1952 made substantial revisions in the declaratory judgment procedure in the Nationality Act of 1940. Persons who are within the United States may still maintain an action for a judgment declaring them to be nationals of the United States, except that such suits may not be maintained when the citizenship claim previously was adjudicated in an exclusion proceeding. Persons whose claim to American citizenship is denied by an agency of the United States government, but who are not within the United States, may apply for a certificate of identity to come to the United States to attempt to establish their claim. Such a certificate of identity may be issued upon a finding that the application is made in good faith and is made on a substantial basis. The applicant is entitled to an appeal to the Secretary of State from a denial of application for a certificate of identity. However, a certificate of identity may be granted only to a person who previously has been physically present in the United States or to a person under 16 years of age who was born abroad to a United States citizen parent. A person who receives a certificate of identity may proceed to the United States and apply for admission at a port of entry, where his status is determined by immigration officers. If such officers rule against his claim to American citizenship, he is entitled to judicial review only in habeas corpus proceedings and not through any other form of action. The fact that some claimants have abused their privileges does not seem to warrant a blanket deprivation of protection to an American citizen who happens to be outside the United States. If there are abuses, such abuses should be corrected. No American citizen should be deprived of his day in court to support his claim against unjustified challenge. The limitations of the 1952 Act will shut off from many American citizens the opportunity to invoke the aid of the courts in resisting erroneous denials of their rights of citizenship. The Commission believes 
that there should be opportunity for a full court review on issues of United States citizenship, even where the citizenship claim is made by a person seeking entry to the United States. On such review, the court should consider the evidence available to the administrative officers. End of section 29. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.